Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a session from the Patients as Partners in Clinical Trials Europe 2019 event featuring Vanessa Pott of Merck KGAA, who is helping to drive patient centricity across her organization. The session is called Merck's Next Phase of Patient Centricity in R&D, Driving Innovative Medicines Development. The Patients as Partners in Clinical Trials Europe 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Um, I'd like to welcome um, Vanessa Pott, Director, Patient Advocacy and Strategic Partnerships from Merck, um, who's going to talk to us about uh, essentially her work driving patient centricity across the, her organization, which is she's been giving me a heads up about it, and it's very interesting. And she faces similar challenges to what we do at GSK, in fact, what most pharma companies do. Anyway, so um, I will hand over now uh, to Vanessa um, for the next 25 minutes. Um, thank you. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you. Good morning. Um, hope you can hear me all right. So, um, yeah, I'm really pleased to be here today, share some of our learnings and experiences. And just as a quick word of introduction, I work for Merck, KGAA, that's um, the German Merck for some of the North American friends that might be here in the room. We're known there as EMD Serono, um, just to avoid <clears throat> any confusion. And um, my team, the Patient Advocacy and Strategic Partnerships team, is actually a team that is um, not part of R&D or medical. We actually sit outside of that organization entirely. Um, are directly part of the Merck group, which I think is also interesting in that it really um, relays the vision that our, our CEO and our company has essentially for how we want to work with patients, namely across the entire life cycle of our medicines. So um, yeah, with that, let me see if I can move on. First of all, what will I be talking about today? Just a quick outline of my presentation flow. Um, so I'm going to briefly touch upon a topic that I think is you know, sometimes it's a bit of a pain for some people on both sides, patient advocates and pharma representatives. I think we all have to deal with compliance, but it's also a topic very near and dear to my heart because I think it's really the foundation um, that all of our interactions are based upon. So just touching upon that and then going to show you how we at Merck are embedding the patient perspective into, and there I'm going to focus more particularly into our R&D activities. Um, and then moving on to, um, not just how we embed patient insights, but really how, does pa do, how do those patient insights then translate into what we like to call patient-directed decision-making. Um, and then um, there are a few learnings around really making those collaborations meaningful that I'm going to share with you and would look forward to discussing. But first then, uh, in closing, I'm going to present um, hopefully I will not have run out of time by then. I'm going to present a case study briefly on a major initiative that I have been leading called Embracing Carers. And as we were all the speakers asked to um, share our key takeaways, I thought I would make it easy and actually go into my presentation with a quick glimpse of my key takeaways that I really would love for you to take home with you into your respective organizations. And so what I'm going to hopefully convey in my presentation is the importance of collaboration and communication. I already told you and was just discussing with, with Andrew before I came up here that 
my team really sits across the organization. So we're actually a small team, we're just six people at global level. And our, our mission is to work with all of those different internal partners who have engagements with the patient community. And um, I think when I last counted, it was somewhere between 18 individual teams, um, ranging from R&D, communications, medical affairs, that have at some point or another engagements with, patient, with the patient community, and I'm sure it's actually many more. So the importance of collaboration internally and communicating well internally is, I would say, just as important as are our um, engagements and communication externally. Um, following on a little bit to what Nicholas and the previous Vanessa were already saying, um, quality is really key, quality in the engagements. It's not so much about the quantity. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about those strategic opportunities and how we, as our team, help our colleagues secure senior leader buy-in and really that strong support that you need um, for meaningful patient engagement. Um, and ultimately, um, really the main message here is there is not a single point, not a single activity within our organization across the life cycle of our medicines that should go without patient engagement. Looking at compliance, I just wanted to um, highlight a few points here where um, I jokingly said it's a pain point for many of us, often leading to frustration, at least that's how it's often perceived. But I did want to share some key learnings as to how we can make this a smoother process because ultimately it is really the foundation and the cornerstone of any kind of interaction between the pharmaceutical company and patient advocates, patient organizations, individual patient opinion leaders, and all of the other external partners that we collaborate with. So what we have seen work really well at Merck is enabling that dialogue and bringing the patient community patients and carers into um, the discussion, making sure that there is transparency around what our rules are from the start, and having conversations as to, um, I think in similar um, line as to what the previous Vanessa was presenting, really talking people through um, rules, contracts, uh, making sure that there is understanding. Um, I've often also um, brought together our compliance colleagues with patient advocates to make sure that it's not just some sort of a a black box or oh, the compliance team, but really these are people and there are rules and there are reasons why and together we can actually maintain a dialogue um, and, and make sure that we're constantly updating and um, investigating better ways for compliant interactions. So as such, you see at the bottom here three boxes, I'm not sure if you can read that well, but we have um, with our team that really understands itself as a, I would say an internal center of excellence, we have been conducting a series of training initiatives um, with the business leaders, with the medical affairs, with local country affiliates, um, really at different levels um, to ensure that there is good understanding of how we can and uh, must compliantly um, and consistently interact with the patient community throughout all of our different activities globally, regionally and at local level. So the training component is really something that um, is very important. I think it helps also empower colleagues internally who often don't really know how to engage and then um, just, I would say, default into not engaging at all with the patient community, which is something that I've also seen. Secondly, um, I mentioned it already, we have just recently enhanced and redrafted our compliance interactions. So that was a process that the patient community was really integral to. And ultimately, we're continuing this dialogue. It's not over. Um, some areas that I would be curious to learn more from the colleagues here in the room about is that we're looking at our fair market values, uh, contract language. So these are topics that are really still very high on our agenda. 
With regards to how we are embedding patient activities and the patient voice into our R&D, I think a lot has changed over the last 10, 15 years. It's really been an ever-changing environment for all of us on both sides of the table who are involved in this. It's not just about doing market research anymore and gaining some patient insights that we can then use to better market our products or maybe doing an ad board to better understand trial design needs. We are really looking at a, a very varied range of different activities and areas. All of these, I would say, um, aim at um, three core areas, maybe I shall point out. So I think in particular, we're trying at work through our patient engagement activities in the R&D area to better understand the burden that patients are faced with when they become involved in a clinical trial at Merck. What can we do to alleviate that burden? Um, how can we, and these are small things, I think many of you will be aware of, it really ranges from um, transportation issues, parking lot tickets, babysitting. I mean, these are really basic needs sometimes, um, but I think the better we understand and the better everyone involved in the trial understands what some of that burden is, um, the better and the more engaged patients we actually will have in our trials. Um, secondly, of course, also understanding the endpoints that really matter to the patient community. So there's a lot of conversation going on now. Um, I think we've all seen uh, in the US, the FDA working on PFDD, patient-focused drug development. It's a lot of conversation here on um, PROs, patient-reported outcomes, how to measure, um, how to best capture, how to best present that data. Um, that's always, of course, important also for us as we're developing the dossiers and hopefully bringing future products and services to the market really is important from the start to capture the endpoints that matter to the patient community in a way that also regulators can then understand and um, evaluate those. And thirdly, something that we've been very involved in recently is also the finding better channels for patient engagement throughout the trials. So I mentioned earlier that in the past, maybe there were these one-off ad boards where you would convene patients or patient representatives, um, and then they would never hear again about the progress of the trial or the impact that their feedback um, has had in, in the trial design or engagement strategies. So um, at Merck, we're pioneering now a number of different tools, different channels, always keeping in mind the patient communities that we're working in. So for instance, multiple sclerosis, which is an area that I am mostly focused on. Um, of course, we are also working with a number of patients who have impaired vision um, and just, um, yeah, difficulties um, with, with viewing. So have to keep that in mind, um, really that accessibility at that level, looking at digital engagement strategies, um, some, some apps where the patients, as they are participating in the trial, can actually see the overall progress of the trial um, some patients like to feel engaged that way, others do not, but at least we're trying to really now make sure that we are offering the level of information and transparency that patients desire. Really to have that constant feedback loop also. Patient-directed decision-making. So patient-centricity is, of course, the buzzword here, but um, at Merck we, we took a step back and we thought, what does patient-centricity really mean? Um, does it mean putting the patient at the center, but then what happens? And for us, a very strong sentiment that, um, that we wanted to convey internally, and this is the kind of language that we're now driving throughout the entire organization um, to the CEO level, is patient-directed decision-making, because we feel that the patient insights, they should ultimately have some sort of impact on our business and our decision-making. So um, just to draw your particular attention to that terminology, it's very deliberate. Um, 
two initiatives that we have um, brought to life um, since creating this team. I don't know if I mentioned in the beginning, so our team is this transversal point of contact um, with regards to patient advocacy it has um, only existed for about three years. So I came on board two years ago and there's really this sort of new mindset that we're trying to um, deploy throughout the organization. Uh, one, we have um, instituted an annual patient summit where we bring together patient community, uh, very similar to what we have here in the room, really a cross-cutting um, cross group of patient advocates, um, patient group representatives, individual patients, but also carers, family members from a range of different disease areas, absolutely not related to the four business franchises that in which Merck operates. So we have um, oncology, MS, etc. But at this patient summit, we're looking at a cross-cutting group really of individual patient voices because we believe there is added value and this really should go beyond the products um, and the product-centric uh, centric thinking um, in bringing together our senior leaders, our CEO and business leaders, R&D leaders, um, different um, senior leadership members from the organization with patients to discuss healthcare topics of the future without any, um, well, I don't want to say without any relevance for our products because I think at Merck we really believe that that ultimately will help us design better products and services. So that's an annual summit meeting, um, really a two-way dialogue. Um, ultimately, I also wanted to touch up on the R&D strategy, which um, our team has been working really closely with uh, colleagues in R&D, really from the top level um, down, collaborating um, over the last few months in a series of working groups to set the tone for the next five years of R&D at Merck. So there was a bigger ongoing R&D um, strategy piece um, but really from the start, um, our global head of R&D approached um, our team and said he wants patient advocacy team to come in as almost like internal consultants and help shape that strategy from a patient engagement point of view. So um, one of the three core areas um, for the future, the other two being more focused on translational science and also digital engagement in R&D actually, is um, the external stakeholder centricity piece. And what is so important about that and why I want to really make that clear is there was this top senior leader buy-in. Um, there was a very focused process over a number of months and that ultimately has not just resulted in a good intention but has now become part of the strategy, which means that it's also um, now being considered in terms of capacity building internally. We're looking at the skills that we need in the R&D organization, the capacity and competencies, um, and there's real resource allocation against that, um, which I think is very important when you want to have that internal mindset change. Um, you need to have the support of your senior leadership and you need to be able to back it up with um, obviously clear uh, measurable milestones, objectives, um, resources, because otherwise um, not much is going to change. Two key takeaways from my own personal work that I would like to share with regards to making collaborations with the patient community meaningful. Um, I think first and foremost, and probably most of you here in the room, I'm preaching probably to the choir, um, it's all about trust. It's about building relationships. Um, that's really an integral part of, of the work that we do also internally at Merck, as I said, um, in training those colleagues, providing resources, really making sure that everyone feels comfortable um, and empowered to go out and build these long-term sustainable relationships. Um, we're really trying to work with our teams to, to look at, okay, what have you been doing so far? That's great, but now how can we take it to the next level and how, how can, and how do you have to also listen to 
the voice of the outside community um, because that will ultimately guide all of the internal decision making. Thinking big, I think um, something that we've, we've really, and I will show this on the next few slides, um, really like to think at Merck is um, not coming from the product and looking, okay, how can we best support the brand? Although I will admit there's always a dimension of that, of course, we are a pharmaceutical company, so we must be aware of, of those internal dynamics too. But what we try to do and really preach within our organization is think big, look at the bigger healthcare needs, identify shared priorities around healthcare delivery, um, looking at whatever the challenges may be in, in your country or in your region, and then try and partner around those but don't come to a patient organization with already a defined set of, these are our priorities and we thought it would be great to partner with you on these. No, really make it a dialogue, a collaboration that, is, um, that goes both ways because only then will you have impactful collaborations. You will then be working as partners equally and with honesty and transparency, which ultimately should underpin any kind of human relationship. I have seven minutes, which is great. I'm going to quickly take you through um, one of our flagstone initiatives, and I mentioned earlier that I have been involved in this project. It's called Embracing Carers. Um, Embracing Carers was launched in 2017, and it really embodies what I just shared on the last slide. So we went out and we um, entered into dialogue with the community in particular as our team had just been founded. We really wanted to also see what are those areas of unmet need that we as Merck can also have a true impact in and how can we best support community efforts. Um, we landed on the topic Embracing Carers, which it's is a support initiative um, of unpaid or informal caregiving. I would like to use those words in inverted commas because ultimately carers, mostly family members, they are providing an integral system, um, support to the system, a really key role in ensuring patients' um, well-being, patient um, delivery of the healthcare system overall in terms of patient outcomes. Um, a lot would be um, significantly worse if we didn't have this um, really invisible and yet so important workforce supporting healthcare. So um, we are working with eight caregiving organizations around the world, one of which is the International Alliance of Caregiving Organizations. And this program as such is not specific to any one disease. Again, as I said, this is really something that we are doing um, above all of our brands and products. It is really cross-cutting. But that being said, of course, building off of this wider platform last year, just a few months ago, we launched um, a report. I actually have a few copies with me in case you are interested, looking then more specifically and again in partnership with the, um, with the um, eight um, advocacy groups that we were working with, now looking at a specific disease area, multiple sclerosis. So whilst our partnership overall had already resulted in a number of tools um, and guidance for carers overall, we felt that with the relapsing re remittent nature of MS, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the disease, but to make it really short, it sort of comes and goes. There are relapses that the patient experiences that ultimately also um, change the role of the carer because what we were very clear about caregiving in the embracing carer sense is not about bathing or dressing or feeding someone. It is really um, much more than that. It is accompanying someone to a doctor's appointment or just providing some additional support. So with MS being such a unique disease, we felt that probably the emotional, the um, physical and also financial impact that caring has on the caregiver would be quite unique. Um, 
need to skip over this one briefly, and just wanted to point out three key statistics that we found. There are many more, of course, that came out of the survey. We um, looked at seven uh, countries globally, and um, we found that 51% of the carers are indeed um, a spouse or a partner of the patient in MS. Um, however, that means that 49% are not. And we actually, through our survey, also realized that there were a lot of um, pa uh, parents looking after a patient. And if you keep in mind that the patients in MS are often diagnosed at the ages be between 20 and 40, that puts the parents in already an advanced age. Um, when they were maybe looking towards their retirement. So entire life plans have to change. 34% um, of the carers said that caregiving had affected their work situation. Um, and again, this is an area that really stood out to us um, in the interviews. We did a quantitative survey, qualitative interviews, and also several focus groups. And this whole area that patients with chronic diseases are faced with of disclosing to your employer and advocating for um, accommodations in the workplace, et cetera, is something that really also comes across to the carer, which so far has been widely underlooked. And 54% of the carers, again, um, in a way mirroring or reflecting the experience of many patients, said that the HCPs had not really fully informed them or that they didn't feel well educated by them at the moment of diagnosis about how caregiving would ultimately impact them and their situation. So really just three quick statistics to point out that there is a lot to be done and that Merck has taken this together with our partners as a first step. So now we have this information, we have brought together the MS patient community and the caregiving organizations and now we're working together in 2019 at translating um, those key findings into actions. That's um, the different project partners, so Merck or the advocacy groups, are taking forward together, um, addressing healthcare professionals, employers, the care organizations themselves, um, sorry, the MS and the care organizations themselves. And of course, also there is a, an angle of government affairs involved where we're looking at creating an even better framework for um, support of carers. So, with that being said, I'm just going to go back to my key takeaways and would like to open it up um, for two minutes or so of questions. Thank you. The 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.